You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBattleLeroy.com. you to turn, take your scriptures in front of you, or one in the back of a chair. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. It's where we're gonna we're gonna be in just a bit. Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen. We'll be looking at that today. Matthew one eighteen, a familiar passage at Christmas time. So as you're turning there, we'll show. I want to show a picture from last week. Appreciate Brandon uh, preaching and. Ending our series on the on the proposed constitution and talking about our finances and why we give and all sorts of things. This is from Malachi. Drew this last week from his dad. So he was listening to his dad. Good job, Malachi. And he's got on the side here, why do we give? I think he's got maybe all, I don't know how many points of Brandon's message last week. God called us to give, to, to give a tenth back to God, to further God's kingdom, to help poorer people. God loves a cheerful giver with a cheerful heart. That's great. And then he's got end of constitution. <laughs> now, here's what I appreciate. I like Malachi's pit. He goes, I feel blue. So that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> but that's good. Thank you for turning that in. We did have um, one question that came in. Uh, I wanted to address just on, on that. And then I will. that's all I will say. And we'll get to our passage. But... One question was, in terms of our Constitution, again, I think it's been asked before, will non-members, so we're introducing membership as part of this Constitution, will non-members be able to teach uh, Sunday school or VBS? I'm sorry, I didn't put it up here for you, but that's the question. Will non-members be able to teach Sunday school or VBS? I'll just point you back a couple of weeks ago. I don't have the date for sure, but Milt addressed this question. You can listen again, listen to all I think it was 11, so all 11 parts of that. If you missed a Sunday as we went through uh, the Constitution, you can listen to that, hear his answer. Really, uh, the answer to that question, there's no hard and fast rule. It says just members to teach, but I think we would be wise to question somebody that's not wanting to be a member of the church and yet teach or be in that kind of capacity. What's the difference? Why not? Um, So again, I don't think... There's necessarily a line in the sand, but again, I think we'd want to say, why not? What's going on with that? We want to be in accord and want to covenant together. And again, that kind of brings up just why membership in the in the first place. And, and to think, to help us remember as we think about this is less about, remember that quote, less about joining a church and more about submission to a church. Submission, not just leadership, though that's part, Hebrews 13, part of it, but to one another, our accountability uh, to one another. There's areas in the church like we've talked about, discipline, accountability, those sorts of things that is more difficult without meaningful church membership. Even some of the metaphors of Scripture, the, the body or the flock, uh, the building of God, membership ties that in um, of who we are. This, this brought together group desiring to glorify God together and to let one another speak into, I'm, I'm coming under your to guide me in my Christian growth and to be a part of your growth. Um, it's also just a tool of protection and order. Again, all are welcome. We want to welcome all 
to come and to hear the Gospel and be encouraged. Remember or not, there's no sign on the door. But as part of being the church, the localized geographic church uh, of God, we want to be a voting group that's believers in Christ voting. I think membership is a tool towards that process and towards that order in the church. So I wanted to address that. Thank you for sharing your comments, suggestions in the box back there. And that's all I'll say on that. So let's look in Matthew chapter 1, familiar passage. Let's hear it again. I pray God would work through His Word. So listen to 18. I'll read through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let me pray again for our time. Lord, through what's familiar, speak with clarity again. Lord, that we would see your great gift to us. Thank you for the reminders of this morning of your infinite gift of humility coming down to this earth, to a people who were turned against you to save them, to love them out of their darkness, that they might look to you. Father, guide us as we study this passage. We pray for Holy Spirit eyes and ears to hear and to be encouraged and that our walk with you, we would walk differently because of what we've studied. Not because of my words, but your spirit in us working through your word as we walk as children of God. So guide our time. We commit it to you, Lord. In Jesus name. Amen. I want to ask you with this thinking of this passage in mind, how do you do, how does it go when your plans change or things don't go according to your plan? Maybe to ask what kind of plans you have for today or for this week. A lot of us have Christmas plans coming up. What if they get changed? Um, you know, on the sadder side, no one who lost someone by the shootings in Las Vegas, you know how quickly the news just moves on. That, remember that happening? No one there was planning on spending this Christmas without their family member or who they lost. I took up an offering for Gary's family. Certainly, they didn't plan out this tragedy to come right in this holiday season. You know, expected to be this season. You hear the song, it's the hap happiest season of all. And for some, 
there's a struggle. Maybe as we look towards 2018, you look back at this past year as just a year of your plans being changed over and over again. If we were to look around us at life alone, again, without God in the picture, we would have reason to be pretty uncertain. Further shootings, maybe deaths, more tragedies. We've got a dream out here, but it's fading. A hope for this situation, this person, this thing, and it's fading. Today, I want us through this passage on the birth of Jesus, again, from the perspective of Joseph here, to again see the definite and gracious plan of God to be with us and to bring us to Himself. In Matthew's account here, Joseph, he's betrothed to Mary. He had plans. They were as good as married here, except they hadn't come together as one flesh yet. I'm sure his plans were to have a family, maybe many kids, grow old together. The text doesn't tell us, but we can assume that as he would be married here to Mary. But all of that in these short verses was changing. The standard, the normal pattern of betrothing a wife, you know, getting engaged, was now interrupted by this tragic, what seemed to be, acknowledgement that Mary was pregnant and Joseph was not the father. Look in the text. Look at verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been Uh, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You see, in the third verse in, at least in the ESV, now the birth of Jesus Christ. You know what the Greek word here for birth is? It's quite interesting. It's the word genesis or genesis. Our Bibles begin, we have the book of Genesis in the beginning. The genesis of creation. You know, it starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit hovering over the waters. The Word of God going forth to create light, sea, sky, all that's in them. And now in Matthew here, there's a new genesis, if you will, taking place in which God will now dwell with man. It's the beginnings of Christ's earthly incarnation. His coming in the flesh to save His people from their sins. Only God's plans are eternal and they would be carried out in this most unlikely way here with a virgin birth. So before Joseph and Mary, before they'd ever come together in the flesh, Mary here is found to be pregnant. And for all purposes, she had committed adultery. Listen to what Deuteronomy 22, 23-24 says about the penalty for this. It says there in the law, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Here's what one commentator writes about betrothal. He says, in Jewish law, betrothal, which lasted about one year, was much more than our engagement. It was a binding contract, terminable only by death, which left the betrothed a widow, or by a divorce as for a full marriage. The man was already the husband, but the woman remained in her father's house. The marriage was completed when the husband took the betrothed to his home in a public ceremony. 
Thus they came together in the one flesh. Now it's debatable at this time when Joseph, if stoning was still an option, different commentators uh, would reference this. Some would say, no, not under Roman rule. But at least there's this possibility for Joseph even to bring her before and to publicly shame Mary and for this public shame to take, take place and to, of course, divorce this unfaithful wife of his. And so Matthew tells us in verse 19 the reaction of Joseph. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph here, he's seen he's a just man, or you could say he's a righteous man. It means that he's going to follow God's law. And according to God's law, the Deuteronomy 22 maybe 24 passage, it needed to deal with this serious sin of supposed idolatry. His plan was divorce. Do you see the plans going on here? God's got a plan. His plan's through Mary. Now Joseph, he's got a plan. Divorce is the plan. So on the one hand, you have Joseph's dilemma here of purging out the evil, but he was also a kind man. I think rather than making a public show He's going to secretly divorce her. And I I think what's underlying this is Joseph's love for Mary. He loved her. Though he could have her shamed, he's going to do it in secret. He's going to divorce her secretly. He didn't want to publicly shame her. Joseph here, he's a man torn between both uh, being both righteous and upright to follow the law of God. And yet he's compassionate and loving towards Mary, not wanting to publicly shame her. So his plan is a quiet divorce. For all he knew, she'd been unfaithful to him. And hence, that was the option. But see, here, God has other plans going on. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, what things? All those things before this. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel here is revealing the greater plans of God. You see there in the first part of that verse, he's considering these things. Joseph is pondering these things. And it seems by the fact that Joseph was pondering these, this was not an easy decision for him. This was not just, oh, unfaithful, here's what it is. There was a... Maybe even a sense of time here of wondering about these things. All his hopes of a pure and righteous family, the dreams of life, as it were, seem to be fading in light of the horror of this pregnancy by what was to be his covenantal wife, his betrothed. And this is all going on. He's thinking about these things. And we get a glimpse here that Joseph's plans are changing. But in the midst of Joseph's thinking and considering, God intervenes. God appears in this dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Joseph had reason to fear for his his life was being turned upside down. Here's a just man with an unfaithful wife. Things are turned up. But these short words here, which God's going to explain, are the first the angel speaks. What great words. Do not fear. 
These are great words in the midst of changing plans, even for us in these short weeks of Christmas when our plans will probably change and not go how we expect them. No fear. And then the angel here in this verse, the angel explains why. This child is going to be born by the work of God in his Holy Spirit. Again, this commentator, R.T. France, says this. He speaks about this child from the Holy Spirit, as we've seen. We've already seen that in verse, the end of verse 18. And now again here, you know, what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He talks about this, this divine initiative of God. Here's what, here's what he says in relation to this Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God appears as the agent of God's activity, especially in creation and the giving of life. Thus, the divine initiative is made clear. The agency of the Spirit is bringing the messianic age is also in view. Here's the Spirit bringing about this new creation, if you will. We know Jesus is eternal, but this coming to earth, the Spirit bringing it about for this this new covenant of Christ, this divine initiative of God to come into this world. So just as the Spirit had hovered over the waters of God's creation of earth, here the second Adam, Christ, comes by means of the Holy Spirit to be conceived to a betrothed Mary. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we also ought to celebrate the conceiving work and the divine initiative of the Holy Spirit. He, in fact, is part of the Trinity, and so to celebrate that work as well. The Holy Spirit here, the agent of this birth, and really the agent of every other of our births that we might be called as well sons of God. So God initiates salvation. This is a plan and a work of God. And then he comes to his people. Look at verse 21. So there's Joseph, verse 20. Don't fear, take her as your wife. This this is a plan of God here. And then verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Joseph now is getting direction from God. In essence, saying, yes, your plans have changed. Here's what you're to do. First, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. It's part of my plan. Second, call his name Jesus. You can look at this and and John Piper uh, read a quote from him. He brings out this fact that implicit here in the name of Jesus is the name of Yahweh, the Old Testament name for the Lord. A lot of your Bibles have Yahweh as just capitals L-O-R-D, this name of the Holy God. And here's Jesus or Jesus or Jesus here in the Greek. Here's what he says of this. He says, uh, the name of Jesus, it's the name of Yahweh, the Lord, the God of all the Old Testament. He says this, then in the fullness of time, Yahweh came into the world to seek and save the lost. Jesus is an English transliteration of the Greek Yesun. Okay, so that's Greek. This, in turn, is a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew Joshua or Yeshua. And Joshua is a combination of Yah 
and salvation or save. Yah, Yahweh. So there's Yahshua, Yah, God. Yahshua, whatever the last part of that is, is saves. God saves or God um, is salvation. Or Yahweh saves. Read from him again. So Jesus means Yahweh saves. Here's what he says at the end. Jesus is Yahweh with a human nature coming to save his people from sin. Here's, here's this incarnation of God to earth to come and save. Here's that, that big gift that we were hearing about and bigger than we can even imagine. That God, yes, He created the world and all those things and all the universe. And even more so, He sends His Son in humility to come to this earth to save His people from their sins. Jesus implied here, has a people whom He will save. It's not a random group. There's a specified people. And we might ask, but who? Is this just Israel here? Is that It just came for Israel to save those people? Listen to some. We're going to go to Ephesians in a little bit, but hear this from Acts. Acts 2.21 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who's the salvation for? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Or Acts 4.12. Familiar. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts really, in part, is the story of this gospel going out through Peter and Paul, even reaching to save the people of the Gentiles. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians 2. Verse 11, as we think about Jesus, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We would fit under that Gentile category, that non-Jewish category. Well, what about those people? Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. Let me read this to us. Who are the people he came to save? It says this, verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So Gentiles called uncircumcision by really the Jews, Jewish person, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, verse 13 says, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow 
citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. According to the plan of God, Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to God through Christ. What sin had separated, God rescued and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. This is what we needed. And without Christ, we are hopeless, running the opposite way. So God's plan is a sure plan. It's a plan His people to bring us to Christ through, uh, through Christ, through His Spirit's work. As we head back to Matthew, I want to I stop in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 22. As you head back that way, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. As we think about God's plans and Joseph's plans, different. Uh, Acts 2, I'll start at 22, but Acts 2.23 is going to make clear this death of Christ. So he's, death, uh, Christ comes, He is born, He lives and He dies. He was raised again. This is no accident, but it's according to a plan. And that plan is the definite plan of God. So Peter here, he's speaking to a crowd. They just have heard their own languages spoken, spoken the mighty words of God, different languages going on. And Peter says this in part, verse 22 here. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. You see, God's plan of redemption is sure. It's lasting. And it's what we are to hope in. It was all part of his definite plan. So as we go back to our passage in Matthew 1, we see this plan of God taking place by the Holy Spirit in that Jesus would come to save his people from their sins. Next week, we're going to, there's just more here than to cover right now, but next week we're going to pick up in verse uh, 22 and look more at Isaiah and this fulfillment of what Isaiah spoke about in chapter 7. But let me say this for now uh, before we finish up this passage next week. We see in here, again to sum it up, Joseph's plans were interrupted. They were changed, altered. And yet, could we not all praise God that they were? They didn't go according to His plan. We're thankful for that. They they, they worked in a way in which God intervened in creation, the genesis of Christ. A new birth of creation in which the Creator humbly came to save sinners. All this, again, part of God's definite and gracious plan. Joseph was to call his name Jesus. The very name of salvation, of God's saving. I would just ask, do you know this saving God? Have you called on His name for salvation? There is no other name to call on. 
There is no other gift under the tree that will save. It is Jesus. It is His name. Yes, God is able. He could grant you to have all your dreams and plans work out according to your desires. He could do that. But praise God. His gracious plan is one of what you really need. You need a rescue. And I need a rescue from our sins. And we need redemption. His plan was to give sinners what they needed the most, to purchase them back by His blood, the blood of Jesus, according to this plan of God. That He would create in us the the old man, creating in us a new man. So in the midst of all your plans this season or this year, let me encourage you to be interruptible. That's for my own heart as well. Be willing to see them and, and see these changes, trusting in God whose plans never change, in whom is our eternal and sure salvation, that we're born of the Spirit, believing in Jesus. So as certain plans, these are just earthly plans, we look at them and they change. We can say, no, my surety is in Christ Jesus. So flee the false hope of all going according to your plans. It won't, will it? But rather, we can anchor our hope in the redemptive plan of God this season, this year, for our lives that we would hold steadfast to His plan. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that as Your people, when our earthly plans change, we would not fear but we would look, that our eyes would look to the hills and say, from where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth, whose plan was to redeem sinners in Christ from before the ages began, to call a people for Yourself. Lord, I pray if there be any in this room, those hearing my voice that have not called on Your name for salvation, that they would run to the cross running from sin, fleeing sin to a Savior that alone can forgive and justify and make whole and save for eternity with You. And Lord, guide us that have known You for some time to rest in this great plan of Yours. That our eternal place with You, our eternal salvation is made sure because You live, Jesus. You live to intercede. You've been raised again. And you who have begun a good work will see it to completion. Lord, I pray we would rest in you this season. Help us to declare to the world your glory when our plans change and we still trust in the mighty God. Anchor us in the hope of Christ this season. In Jesus' name.